Don't go anywhere, folks. The schadenfreude is about to begin. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 309 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. And it's January. It's early January. Usually, this is a time for looking ahead for the new year. What what what's to come in 2024? You know, what 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 trends should we expect to see? What you know, what checks should we expect to finally be cashed and, and what promises made good on in the, in the new year. But I also like this time of year because it's a bit of a, a retrospective, especially in the financial press. You see a little, you know, what, what, how did, how did last year actually go? We got a little bit of, you know, hindsight. We can see how last year went. What were the, what, you know, how was financial performances? What were the major highs and lows? And so th- I like this more, less for looking ahead and speculating about what's to come, but having more of a clearer view of where we came from and uh, uh, a headline in the FT to that effect really caught my eye. U.S. venture capital fundraising hits a six-year low. A 60% decline in 2023 from the year before sends a gloomy signal to funders and the startups that rely on them. So beautiful. 2023 was one of the uh, the lowest uh, years for venture capital funding and 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 uh, capital raising um, since 2017. So uh, the. the 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 VCs they're coming out on on some low lows that they they are dipping. Um, their serotonin is completely depleted after a year in 2022 where they were riding the highest highs that they'd had in a very long time. Um, you know, they, it was it was all parties, it was all raves, it was just nothing but but ket and e and coke, and they were just they were just. Jones and man, they were just going for it in 2022. Mm-hmm. Last year was the day after. Um, it was the 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 slump. Uh, the this to put it in. I mean, the numbers are still out of this world, humongous, like way bigger than they should ever be. But just to put it in perspective, the FT goes on. 
The $67 billion raised by U.S. venture capitalists in 2023 is the lowest annual total since 2017 and represents a 60% drop from the $173 billion raised in 2022, the peak year for fundraising, according to analysis by private markets data provider PitchBook and the National Venture Capital Association. Globally, in 2023, venture investors raised the lowest level of capital since 2015. So it's it's tough years out there for, for VCs, for startups. I mean, we've been seeing some of the reporting uh, coming out. You know, the New York Times had a had an article talking about all of the unicorns that um, com- that went bust. All these startups that had billion dollar plus valuations, raising tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of capital, and then like one after another, just closing up shop, folding doors, fo- you know, folding, disappearing completely. The uh, I, I I think you know, on one hand. It's like I'm playing the smallest fucking violin in the world for these VCs who only managed to raise $67 billion last year. Right. Uh, just an unjust number by any accounting, um, even even not putting in comparison the $173 billion that they raised in 2022. But mm-hmm. it... it, it, it this kind of performance and this kind of re- looking back at the, at the last year for VC... I think it just really shows how much of a fucking shell game all of this is, how ephemeral it is, how much it's vaporware, and how much at any moment um, all of this very real capital can dry up uh, if if uh, the conditions just change a little bit for, for VCs. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting also, and we can talk about this as it goes on to kind of think through what sectors are still getting funding or not getting funding. Um, But, you know, over the past few years, there's been a constant uptick, right? Constant inflation of the value, uh, deluge of free money that's still been slushing around everywhere, Um, kind of after effect of uh, inflated valuations pushed by these large capital allocators trying to replicate vision fund and then trying to stay away from the vision fund, but still trying to overvalue their investments and their networks of investments for self-dealing, as well as uh, the exuberance that came with some of the uh, the, the tech hype cycles that we saw with crypto, then Web3, and now generative artificial intelligence. Um, this is, uh, it's nice to hear. You know, six-year low, love it. Needs to go lower. $67 billion raised by VCs last year in the U.S. is still far too much, especially when, as you pointed out, right, a lot of the firms that have gone bankrupt, a lot of the money that's been burned comes after these firms spent two years struggling to cut costs to stay afloat, right, because of business models that were centered on promises and on far-flung sci-fi projects or moonshot projects or capitalizing on hype, right? There's still a lot to go. And here, PitchBook's lead VC analyst, Kyle Stanford, um, wonder if there's any relation to our good old boy, uh, (laughs) Leland Stanford, um, says, the bottom still feels a ways off. A lot of these companies that are still private will still struggle We'll see a lot more down rounds and a struggle to exit. 
there will be a lot of competition for the money that's available, right? Here, I think also is interesting in that there are still sectors that are vibrant, specifically the AI sector of the funding where they're trying, well, you know, who is it? Uh, I think it's Prague Agarwal, uh, the former chief executive of Twitter, just himself um, recently launched um, an AI um, venture, right? That's being backed by Kasala uh, Ventures. Um, it's they just raised thirty million dollars in a deal that's led by by Kosla Ventures, right? Um, for an artificial intelligence company, right? And that Kosala also is like as is you know is a sixteen Z. This is many of these kind of uh, boutique venture capital firms um, are invested heavily inside into um, artificial intelligence, right? And we've talked about the reasons for this. Part of it is because there's a general, a genuine kind of a a delusion about the prospects for it to transform work and society in general, um, or to and. But part of it is also a desire to. you know, pursue a marketing strategy where, you know, part of the thing that's going to keep artificial intelligence being developed, part of it that's going to allow it to be deployed uh, in ways that uh, bolster labor discipline and social control and surveillance and other uh, portfolio companies that are profitable or might be profitable if only artificial intelligence could buoy their um valuations um, and offer exciting product in partnership with governments, with localities, with regulators or with other firms, right? Comes out of funneling money and increasing the value, the inflation of it. And I don't know, I feel like one thing I'm working on a report about venture capital flows. And I feel, I'm, I'm curious. And I mean, I know that, you know, for example, at Laconia Capital, they've, the Laconia Group, they've talked about enmeshment and this drive that pushes up um, the valuation of a lot of firms. But I wonder also if there's, you know, talk about what happens in the midst of a general uh, downsizing environment, uh, deflationary moment, but not quite deflationary because the bottom is still ways out as um, our Stanford boy tells us, um, but you know, a, a situation in which there's an understanding that deflation is coming and that it could accelerate, or there could be a ripple effect that could suddenly bring down a lot more firms. But if you can make a few strategic investments, or if you can flood the market, then maybe you can still preserve the core inflationary strategy you're pursuing, so that you can hold up your value and and provide yourself some exit opportunities. And if you can find someone who's a greater fool that you can leave holding the bag of unicorn shit, right? As has been the strategy throughout this entire bubble, right? Since it started almost two decades ago. Um, they the the drying up is going to happen, and I'm curious also to see how it's going to be covered. Right, the drying up is going to happen. The deployment of less capital is going to happen. But are the firms going to change their business models? Are they going to actually pursue more sober uh, visions and products and services? Probably not. They're almost certainly again also going to be staffed by and filled by or connected to the same operators, the same talent, same entrepreneurs. The same networks, uh, so it's hard to it's hard to also look at the fundraising retreat and think of this as like a the threshold moment because this kind of froth 
also engenders a certain sort of delusionary mindset um, that is not going to suddenly retreat because they raised a lot more money. 60% down, yeah, but still, like, there's still that sort of feverish pitch about artificial intelligence that there was about Web3, even when it was, even when you couldn't find a single fucking real application for Web3, as there was for crypto, even when it was almost synonymous in the public understanding and imagination with fraud and with gambling and with imaginary fake money and complicated Ponzi schemes, right? So, um, exciting to see, uh, you know, people lose their smoggy and hordes, but I, but I also do wonder if, you know, what the strategy in response is going to be and how these people are going to respond beyond just lowering fundraising targets, beyond just down rounds and beyond just trying to figure out ways to, you know, bomb rush the exit or just knife fight each other for some of the dollars that are still floating around. I mean, I think those are a lot of really key questions because like, yeah, I, I'm also really skeptical of the idea that they change whatsoever, like that the, that the investors change their strategy, you know, that the VCs uh, change their strategies, you know, particularly thinking here about like the general partners, right? The people that are actually making the investments um, for you know, on behalf of those venture capital funds, because the LPs, the limited partners, have changed their strategies, uh, which is contributing massively to this down this downswing in capital raising and the kind of you know the 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 sharp um, downward turn and slowdowns in uh, in the in fundraising uh, in startup investments and and exits and all of that because like it, it really shows you how much of the venture capital i mean this is something we have harped on about again and again and again but it really shows you how much the whole vc industry the whole ecosystem of venture capital is a strange little creation of two interconnected things one is uh low to no interest rates and two is uh, massive institutional investors like pension funds insurers uh university endowments you know nonprofit foundations um that invest all like pretty much all of the money that goes into a v into venture capital funds is coming from these massive institutional investors, these limited partners who are themselves largely investing in VC funds uh, because there was no low to no interest rates, which meant very little to no risk. Uh, on behalf of the the LPs, the institutional investors, but now as interest rates rise, the institutional investors are more reticent to just dump billions and billions of dollars into these venture capital funds um, because now tech, not, you know, these tech bets are riskier, they're costlier, um, and that means that these funds start drying up, which means, but then that, but then it's like the question is. 
how do the GPs, the general partners, the V, you know, the people we think of as VCs who are out there actually making deals, choosing where to invest, uh, and, and picking their winners and their losers? How do they respond to this? Do they change their strategies? And thus in return, like, are they, do they send market signals to entrepreneurs, uh, that like, hey, you know, you need to, give us a different business model, give us different revenue strategies, give us different like go to market strategies, whatever, you know, do they send those signals? And thus that then like kind of has this effect of changing the whole startup ecosystem um, from, from that kind of top down. I'm skeptical of that in the same way that you are, Ed, that like, I think that the GPs, the general partners, the VCs have become so uh, like, like, you know, they just become so fat on the uh, fat off the the easy, low hanging fruit, the free money, the 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 laziness of not actually having any like market analysis, not actually having any like strategy, right? But like instead, just following intuition, following the herd, going for the lowest hanging fruit. Um, uh, bet, you know, just kind of riding off of the idea that like the, you know, line go up, you know, that like every, like everything always just goes up and that, and that this, the deck is always stacked in their favor, right? That there's always going to be an exit that someone else will always be left le- uh, holding the bag that they're going to get, they're going to make their return. They're going to make their you know, however many X, uh, you know, profit that they're looking for. And it doesn't matter if something good was actually created out of it, right? Like that's been the VC in the ecosystem for the last 15 years, really, you know? Um, and so like, you've got a whole, you've got a whole lot of people, you know, some of them who were around during the nineties, during the first dot-com bubble, you know, like Mark Andreessen and these people who, you know, Peter Till, right? Like these people have been around for a very long time. They're not, they're not young blood. I mean, well, Peter Till's got some young blood, um, but uh, you know, they're, they're not new. To um, but I, but they have also, I think just become like, like we can see it in the way that they talk, right? These people who should know better because they have seen a lot of different market swings, a lot of different booms and busts. Like they should have a little bit of the wisdom of, of, of experience and history, but they're the ones that are the strongest at doubling down on like, no, the way I do things is correct. Everyone else is wrong, you know? Um, And I think like it's that, that overconfidence, that arrogance of like, I'm not wrong. Everyone else is wrong, um, which Uh is going to prevent them from actually like, being good materialists, right? It's because they're all fucking idealists. They all just like work in the realm of like immaterial speculative value. Um, mm-hmm. but they actually like read the material conditions and, and react accordingly. Right. You know, I think also, you know, also to, you know, to, to hop onto that, I mean, it's like, look also what's another thing that's structuring and will limit, you know, any sort of lesson learned from this, right? Is that because of venture capital's retreat from fundraising, right? And because of the drying up, 
of, of free flowing capital, big tech companies have stepped in, right? And these big tech companies have been deeply involved in and out raising um, uh, the venture capitalist firms, right? You have Amazon, you have Google, you have uh, Microsoft uh, that are actually putting money into OpenAI, to Anthropic, into Inflection, into Mistral, right? These are the firm. So, you know, you know, PitchBook also reported that, uh, what was it, about $27 billion has been raised by AI companies last year, right? And the, the vast majority of that is coming to us from these big tech firms. And because of that development, there are two things that emerge. One is, so venture capitalists are going to be left kind of flitting and competing for attempts to get in the door with these teams, right? But also another thing that emerges is that they're they're going to have to reshift focus away from trying to buy into these large foundation models that are going to be developed only by the largest tech firms, and instead shifting to these hybrid AIs or you know to firms that are more concerned with building on top of the foundation models, right? And as we've been talking about here, right. This is also still going to feed back into the hype cycles that they've been chasing. They've been chasing boondoggles where someone is instead not promising them the moon with like a new chatbot or with a new human seeming interactive device, but maybe they might be able to create a product that's built on top of it that promises to automate labor way in a novel way that promises to allow you to do some sort of creative task in a novel way. Um, and, and, and you'll see a sort of feeding frenzy, and we've already started to see a feeding frenzy for the for barrel, for gutter trash, you know, for barrels, right? A16Z backing um, generative AI firms that do porn deep fakes of people where they, unclo- they, they create non-consensual porn, you know, by unclothing people in photos and then promoting that, you know, seeing chatbots that are posing or purporting to be able to offer human companionship, whether it's a psychologist or whether it's just someone to talk to or whether it's a partner. Um, You know, these are, you know, I think that because, you know, big tech firms have already beat them to the exit to these large foundation models, you're going to start seeing them kind of double down on what you saw in um, Andreessen's uh, manifesto, right, where he was extolling uh, the potential of artificial intelligence to be like an angel on your shoulder and to save everybody in the world because it's going to be able to tell you how much how loved you are and how much you're basking in the glory of God slash AI, right? It'd be the perfect coach, the perfect athletic advisor, or the physical trainer, or the therapist, or um, you know, provide affirmations uh, that you might not be able to get elsewhere in your life or love and comfort. Um, you know, ridiculous value propositions that are nebulous and can't really be pinned down, but also still provide huge room for a sort of inflationary marketing strategies that a lot of these VC firms have been pursuing for a long time. And that's not also to say that um, a lot of these AI startups that are being snatched up by or being heavily invested in by Google, by Amazon, and by Microsoft are any more real or have harder or have more real values that can be pegged down 
but that they are all, they're all going to be, and they have been overinflated because they are holding a much larger, more easily understandable and saleable product that everyone else is going to be building on in one way or another. And so venture capitalists, because they've missed, they've missed the boat on this, they're just going to overvalue or eventually come back to overvaluing uh, a lot of the gutter shit again. And talk about the overvaluing here too, because this is also a big part of the story is not just the capital that's being raised and like this, you know, sharp downturn in the, you know, from, from the highest peaks of 2022 to the, the lowest valleys so far of last year in terms of like the amount of capital that VCs have raised, but like the overvaluing. And, and I mean, like this is a, this is what's I, I think even more galling than the idea that like, you know, venture capitalists have, you know, last year, $67 billion worth of money to play around with. And they're crying about like not having more, um, that also the the value created by this capital because that's normally what's meant to be happening here right is that like this is capital that's meant to be invested it's money in motion you know and that money is meant to go and make more money that's the whole capital cycle there uh and but like here's how you know the the VC industry, how this whole ecosystem, how te- the tech sector, especially Silicon Valley, like you know the the judges, you know value creation with this investment is you know as the FT writes, the value created by startup exits in the U.S. last year, uh, and so that's you know value quote unquote value created by like initial public offerings, acquisitions, like these kinds of exits, right? Where like, so, like the money, like money actually materializes out of the investment combined with the speculative valuation. Now there's an exit. Some real money is being, uh, is being created here. Um, the, so the value created by startup exits in the U.S. last year was just $61.5 billion, right? So that's actually less than the amount of money that was raised uh, to, for, for VC funds, right? Which was $67 billion. So that's, that's a bad ratio to, to have lower exits than the capital raised. But compare this to a 2021 peak of value created by startup exits of $797 billion in the US alone. And I mean, the, the, there's really only two games when we talk about the tech sector in the world. There's the there's Silicon Valley and there's China because like uh, startup exit values in Europe, in all of Europe last year uh, was $12 billion, right? I mean, like uh, like uh, truly a rounding error for the 2021, uh, you know, startup exits in the US. Um, and so like there is no European, <laughs> there really is essentially no European tech system. It is Silicon Valley or China, right? Um, but like, but these numbers are that's this fucking mind boggling that startup exits in 2021 were valued at 797 billion dollars. Like when I first saw that number, I was like, oh, like surely that's like the bullshit valuations, right? Where it's like, I gave you a, a million dollars and, and I'm saying you're worth a hundred million dollars or whatever. It's like, no, no, this is supposed, this is, this is actual startup exits where like IPOs 
acquisitions, these kinds of things where like real money is exchanging hand. Um, like it's fucking mind boggling. And it also, I think is it, it, like, I can't think of a better, like a more damning figure for the, the entire tech startup ecosystem, right? Because if you're like, you know, if you're a venture capitalist, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a tech journalist, or you, if you're somehow like inside of the tech system, or um, like ideologically or materially committed to the tech sector, you see that number and you're like, "That's why we're the. That's why we're number one, baby. That's why we're the the engine of growth and the engine of innovation." <laughs> That's right, because we made $800 billion of value in 2021 right. alone, USA, USA. USA. You know, These colors don't run, motherfucker. But for everyone else, mm-hmm. that number is fucking damning, because does the, does the world from 2021 to 2022 fill $800 billion better for like a normal person? Right, yeah. like, does the world feel eight hundred mm-hmm. billion dollars better no. in that year, or does it actually feel worse in the year from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two? Does it actually feel sixty one billion dollars better, la- like now from t- from last year until today, or does it actually feel worse? Right. Like that's that's the most damning thing here is that out of all these mind boggling numbers, out of all this mind numbing value creation by the study startups, uh, you know, by every metric of success for these people, does the world feel better in like a global sense, in like an abstract, let alone does your life like your individual life or community or family feel better off, uh, you know, by any metric, let alone $800 billion better off um, than it did before. I think for the vast majority of people, unless you got a piece of that pie, which is a very small number of people who got a piece of that very fucking large pie for the vast majority of other for people, your world feels worse, not better. And that's damning to me, right? How can you have a tech sector and a, a startup ecosystem, a venture capital innovation machine that can, can, can celebrate creating, quote unquote, creating so much value, but then nobody feels any better off by it. No social problems have been solved. No structures have been patched up. Nobody's life has been elevated in any meaningful way. Quite the opposite for the like for for most people, right? Like you know, it, it, it's it's damning to me. It feels a lot like you know all of these fucking economists that are also being like. Well, actually, if we look at the numbers, the economy is doing stronger than ever. Actually, people are better off than they were the last few years if we look at the econometric numbers, you know? And it's like, bro, (laughs) you got your numbers and then you got people's life experience, right? You got your numbers, 
you got people's life chances, life opportunities, life mobility, and those things are not aligned with each other. So you can make an economy like geared towards the numbers. You can make a tech sector geared towards the numbers. You can plan innovation geared towards the numbers. But if those numbers are disconnected in every material way from people's actual lives, from society, from everything else that matters, then what what the fuck are we doing it for? Yeah, that's the thing, right? That's the f- most that's one of the most frustrating parts also. And that also leads to a frustration on the other side, right? There's a frustration with the fact that we're sa- we can sit here and say the value is created when actually this doesn't account for the externalities, right? And also on the flip side, right, that in the face of so much value being created and the externalities being um, obscured, there doesn't also seem to be like a comprehensive response or, or alternative offered up, right? And you know, we are left with a lot of people would look at that and be like, "Well, and and that's why we need to also uh, step in and make sure the market is working better, so that we can have tech developments that are that generate more value without these externalities." So that's why we should also have the state come in and uh, prevent some of these things from happening, as opposed to like, why or why is the way in which we develop tech? Um, such that we are generating so much harm and so much hidden cost, but that the it seems to be covered as an unalloyed good because it's making hundreds of trillions of dollars, and then as a huge tragedy when it's making tens of billions of dollars. Um, you know what? What? What is the what is the alternative way in which we want to think about how we want to develop our technology and how? does that alternative actually look like and what in what ways can it allow us to displace the venture capital model altogether and the role of the market and also the role of the state, right? Because the state's intervention is what allows uh, the venture capital market and the noxious model of technological development and innovation to emerge out of here and leave us with all this shit, all this useless shit or all this useful shit that comes with huge costs. Uh, whether that be exploited workers, whether that it be uh, you know shortened lifespans of, of workers who are extracting the things, whether that be um, you know weird and confusing regimes on uh, the profit uh, and who owns the rights of the intelligence uh, intelli- uh, intellectual property, or who gets paid adequately, or whose jobs are preserved, or whose jobs are transformed, right? or removed or automated or however we want to talk about it. That's also one of the things I really do deeply resent about having the venture capital model be so central to how we talk about tech development, right? Because then we get locked into this, we get locked into an argument on their terms where we have to debate how much money should or shouldn't be generated, how much of the market should be or shouldn't be allowed to run on its own, how much should the state intervene or not intervene, and not the much more basic and interesting question, which is like, how should we develop the tech in the first place? And can we develop tech in a way where we don't have to deal with this bullshit, where they're having a downwinding and a downraising and an unwinding of the funding because they all fucked up because they chase anything that looks, they chase every orifice that looks like it might have money coming out of it. That's what it boils down to, you know? Yeah. And it's shit. No, I, I mean, you, 
You are you are completely right because like what you are doing is being like we need to have a we need to have a real legit conversation and rethinking about like the politics of innovation here because you're right like all of it's so easy to get captured where all of our de- our our discourse and our debates and our all like policy solutions and proposals and stuff like all just take for granted this assumption that like you know, no, like in technology development and investment has to happen in a particular way, right? Like we just take for granted the, like the strategies for, for invest, for technology investment, right? Like, why are we doing it? Right. We take for granted the metrics, right? How are we judging the worth or value of it? We take for granted the benchmarks, right? How do we know when we've reached you know, the good, you know, this is good innovation or this is good technology, right? Like all of those things are just taken for granted. They're just assumed to be these like immutable uh, truths, right? That like, you know, the strategies, the metrics, the benchmarks, that's that's the the playing field that we have to deal with, right? And we got, but you're right. Like it just makes it where we then are like entering a game that they've defined they've created and they've stacked in their favor uh you know all of the refs are bought off you know like you know everything is uh you know is is loaded in their favor and then we have to walk in and play the game you know that that they have that they have created defined established in such a way that nobody else can ever win that game you know like it's the 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 solution here is not to be like, well, we need to get better at playing their game. It's to go, no, fuck their game, right? Like your game is done. <laughs> your your game is bullshit. It hasn't done anything good for us. The strategies, the metrics, the benchmarks, all that needs to be thrown out the window, right? Like just thrown away, buried, uh, burned, and salted. Like you know that you like that game is over. It's done. Uh, like that's really the only way forward if we want to think about like what an alternative innovation system would look like, right? Like what alternative technology development would look like. If we keep trying to uh, eke out, you know, if we keep trying to like play their game and just like maybe hopefully lose a little bit ba- less bad than we've lost before, then like we're like, you're still losing, you know? And it's because it's a game that you can't win. It's been created in such a way that nobody else can win it uh, except for them. And even they're not good at winning their own game is the, is the really fucking like, uh, uh, you know, sad and pathetic thing about it is like they've created this game such that they are always winners. And even they are getting b- less good at winning their own game ah <laughs> uh, why you know how are these people beating us <laughs> these people, how are they the masters of mankind I just it's insane it, make, it drives me crazy i don't know man i mean a lot of it really truly does come down to like right time right place in such a way that you're able to like like you are in the right place right time at the or right place at the right time to create the rules of of a game and then ensure that like you and your friends can keep winning that game for decades and decades like i always think about like uh this this kind of throwaway line but i think is really incisive from malcolm harris's palo alto where he's talking about how like 
the entire modern um, tech sector, uh, you know, in the post-internet era. So, you know, we're talking from like the early 90s onward, like that, like the entire tech sector is basically defined and ruled by a few guys who happen to make the right web scrapers um, before other people could make web scrapers in the early 90s. And then from there, they were and they became kings of the universe because like they made a web scraper in the early 90s, but like before somebody else made a web scraper. <laughs> You know, it's like, that's basically it. Like, there's no, like, there's no genius fucking, you know, plan here. There's no Ozymandias. Uh, there's no fucking divine destiny, manifest destiny. There's no God's plan. There's none of that. It's just some dudes made web scrapers in the early 90s before some other dudes made web scrapers. And yeah. now they are kings of everything. Now we have to suffer through every bit of their fucking psychology and weird um, obsession with phrenology and uh, the divine right of kings and transfusing the blood of supple uh, volunteers allegedly into their veins forever and ever and ever and ever. That is just the, the, the tragedy of history. There, there is, there is no grand plan. There is, you know, there, there, there is nothing. There's nothing to be proud of, right? We can't be like, well, at least we're crushed underfoot by, you know, the 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 greatest men to ever live. It's like, no, we we are crushed under the boot hill of the greatest losers uh, to to ever live. And 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 I think that's a good segue actually to talk about somebody who is really truly like the cosmic embodiment of um, being simultaneously a world historic winner by every metric and a world historic loser by every metric. Um, that's Elon Musk, folks. <laughs> that, that My man is embodying the dialectic of being both uh, the, the world's greatest winner and the world's greatest loser. Um, but at least we can rejoice a little bit, you know, let's, 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 let's get our, our, our mood back up. Let's elevate. Uh, let's, let's feel a little bit better knowing that, um, while, while Europe might not have much of a tech startup scene, uh, it is certainly, uh, really putting it to Musk and Tesla in a way that is just, oh, beautiful, beautiful to see. Um, so I mean, people people might have seen some of the reporting over the last like you know f- few months you know, since late October uh, about uh, the disputes in Sweden uh, between uh, Swedish um, unions, labor unions, and Tesla, and these things uh, like you know the 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 dispute really kind of kicked off um, between Tesla. Uh, and repair workshop mechanics in Sweden, where, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, Tesla was trying to fuck over um, the the repair mechanics uh, in, in Sweden. I think it was, uh, you know, the, the, the dispute initially only involved 130 mechanics at 10 Tesla repair workshops across seven Swedish cities. So it was pretty, you know, pretty low scale, like small scale labor dispute. Uh, but 
like it has just ballooned like it 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 has only grown more severe um uh, you know since it kicked off in late october like it has not gone away and um there was a really good kind of article that came out uh in mid december now so you know it's not not the latest but uh in mid december um france 24 um had a really good article talking about how this uh the strikes against Tesla um, have gone uh, outside of Sweden to now include um, like uh, like other Scandinavian countries, right? Uh, where so you know um, Norway um, and others uh, are now essentially just doing a boycott of 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 Tesla where I'll, I'll read a little bit. So Denmark, Finland, and Norway have joined um, this this big labor dispute, have joined Sweden in this big labor dispute with Tesla, where I'll just read a little bit from the France 24 article, where they write that the dispute, which initially involved over 100 and th- only 130 uh, mechanics at 10 Tesla repair workshops across seven Swedish cities, has ballooned into an international strike movement. The uh, the mistake as as one um, political scientist um, and a, uh, a Scandinavian specialist at the School for Advanced Studies in Social Sciences in Paris um, said, "quote The mistake American multinational Tesla made was challenging the collective agreements that set sector specific minimum wages in Sweden, a country where seventy percent of the population is unionized." So and then uh, France 24 goes on to say, concerned about safeguarding collective agreements, which cover nearly 90% of all employees in Sweden, 15 Swedish unions have joined the strike at the request of the powerful IF Metall Union since it kicked off on October 27th. And now transporters are refusing to deliver vehicles while electricians are declining to repair charging stations. Cleaning staff has stopped cleaning showrooms. Garbage is piling up outside Tesla centers as refuse collectors refuse to pick it up. And Swedish postal services have stopped delivering license plates essential for registering new Teslas. On the retail end of the supply chain, car dealerships have stopped offering Teslas and Stockholm taxis have suspended their Tesla purchases. And then this has spun out into these massive, so these sympathy strikes, which is what it is, right? Like you have different unions, you know, striking in sympathy with one union. But these sympathy strikes have spread outside of Sweden, as I as I mentioned, to also include these other uh, Scandinavian countries, which is really like extremely rare, and and you know, you know, it's not like unheard of, but it almost never happens, right? Like they were saying that the last time something like this major mobilization happened um, with international sympathy strikes. France 24 says that the last time such a major mobilization happened was back in 1995 when Toys R Us tried to bypass unions and impose its own salary rules, right? So uh, like th- this kind of, you know, and, and then... Um, you know, Toys R Us eventually yielded after three months of strikes uh, in Sweden and Europe. 
So, so this is, you know, this is like rare to have such a massive ma- you know, mobilization. And also, I mean, one, I just, you, you love to see it, right? You love to see a sympathy strike. It's very rare because they are illegal in so many places, but not, you know, not in Scandinavia, um, where they are not just legal, but, you know, Tesla would try to, uh, Tesla tried to use Swedish courts to put an injunction on on the the, the striking, and the Swedish courts upheld the hmm. right of these uh, labor unions to to Get strike sympathy with each other. Uh, and so, uh, so Tesla is scrambling. Elon Musk is completely fucking scrambling right now. And also on top of that, uh, you know, Scandinavia uh, is the is is a major market for Tesla. I think it's the lar- it is the largest market in in all of Europe for Teslas. And so this is like, you know, <laughs> this is this is funny uh in 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 so many different ways, but also you you just you just love to see um everybody from the mechanics to the trash collectors, to the post, the post workers, um, just saying, uh, Tesla, nope, never, never heard of it. You know, can't, can't, couldn't be me. Also, even the fucking investors, right? One interesting chunk of this article was pointing out the fucking investors, the pension funds are saying, are starting to now criticize Tesla and come in on them and say, hey, you know, like, if you're, if, if you're going to try to come for a collective bargaining, then we're going to need to talk with your board, right? Um, and, and, and figure out what we're going to do with the shares in your company that we have. And I, I think I'm a bit su- I'm surprised to see this sort of cross-class uh, uh, solidarity, almost to preserve the, to preserve the uh, the collective bargaining agreements that they have in Sweden and in Norway and in Denmark, and I hope they make them fucking bleed, right? Because you know, on the one hand, right, there was a notable uh, major shareholder that did not sign on, right? Then the Norges Bank Investment Bank, which operates Norway's sovereign wealth fund and is the seventh largest Tesla shareholder because in the Nordic region, the sovereign wealth funds, which generate a lot of wealth and they trade the oil wealth generated by these countries and put them into high performing stocks, specifically tech stocks. Um, there's a lot of over representation of tech stocks in these sovereign wealth funds is not going to sign on to this, but is gonna supposedly pressure the company to respect labor rights. Right? So it is interesting to see a noose starting to form and to tighten around our, um, a Canadian South African brother. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I think he has to, he has to, you know, listen. I hope he doesn't listen. I actually hope that he, he digs in his heels and continues to hurt himself in this market. Because I personally believe, you know, if we're going to have all this value creation in Silicon Valley, let's destroy some value. You know, let's burn some money. You know, he let's 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 waste. Let's prevent new Teslas from going into service. Let's make the Tesla centers have such a deep stench of garbage that you can't really quite get it out of the showrooms and the centers 
And it always will sit in the back of your head whenever you go there and you think twice about buying a Tesla. You know, I would love, I love this sort of general corrosion and undermining of the of the brand, of the physical facilities, of the actual product itself. And I and I and I wish them the best of luck in making those that fucker bleed. I mean, I I I, I sure hope so. I, I I think he will just dig in his heels. I mean, this is how Elon Musk does, right? Like he does not mm-hmm. capitulate, and and I think it is going to bleed. I mean, like you know, you talk about this this you know this big letter that was put forth and signed by you know these powerful pension funds. Um, so again, we talk about institutional investors, right? Like institutional mm-hmm. investors are really who make all of this happen. You know, they make the world go round. These these big pension funds, these sovereign wealth funds, these uh, insurance companies. You know, like they are the ones who, you know, they hold the purse strings for for all of this. And it, it is it is really interesting um, to see, as you were saying, like you know. The largest pension funds, uh, like Norway's largest pension fund, you know, the these massive pension funds in Sweden and Denmark, you know, sending this letter um, that was sent to Tesla, signed by you know all these giant uh, Nordic investors, you know, including you know the, the these you know powerful and large pension funds in Norway and Sweden and Denmark. Uh, you know, sent a letter to Tesla defending the Swedish labor market model, um, you know, the the rights of workers for collective bargaining and, you know, really standing with the unions, which, you know, on one hand, it feels very strange. You would never see that uh, happening in, in the U.S. or Australia or like anywhere else. I mean, like, you know, even to the point where, you know, of course you said, you know, Norway's sovereign wealth fund, which has a stake in Tesla worth about 6.3 billion euros. So really fucking large, you know, they, they didn't sign the letter, but they're, they're just kind of softly being like, yeah, we like, we think you should respect the labor rights, but like with the, with the pension funds that signed the letter, like they've, some of them have really put their, their money where their mouth is like, um, the, uh, the pension fund, uh, pension Denmark, um, sold its Tesla holdings, about 64 uh, million euros worth of Tesla holdings. Uh, the, um, the head of responsible investments at KLP, um, which is Norway's largest pension fund, um, and, and they hold about 195 million euros in Tesla shares. The head of responsible investment there, you know, they, they not only signed the letter, but, you know, very strong saying that, like, you know, that this is about fundamental human rights, not just about the labor model, the Nordic labor model. So it's interesting to see these these invest these institutional investors standing with it. I mean, on one hand, this is like this is where the the real like Scandinavian exceptionalism um, actually plays in. Where like you know, I, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it in person. I mean, it's real. It's very much true that like people from like the Scandinavian and Nord, like the Nordic countries, really do think like really do feel like they're exceptional, right? That like uh, we do things just a little bit different up here, and uh, we've we've set we figured. <laughs> yes, truly. Like we have figured everything out. Our society is perfect. We've got everything, you know, we've got everything good to go. Um, please ignore all of the 
uh, news articles about like rising uh, racism and hate crimes. Yeah, please <laughs> do not speak in a different language or mention um, anything outside of our borders. But <laughs> you know, while you're here, you have a good time. If you look like us, you'll have a great time. Yeah, yeah no, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, yeah. if you look like us. Um, but uh, but this is an air. This is definitely a, a point where like the Scandinavian exceptionalism is actually um, playing playing in a good way because they like the reason why these pension funds I think are standing with the the labor unions here is because like because it is an us versus. Uh, an us versus you kind of mentality where like they're like no like the labor unions and and are like a strong part of the scandinavian social model and tesla's coming in you know thinking that they can do things differently that they can disrespect us that they don't have to uh play ball uh, you know in the way that uh, we do it here right and there so it, it really is uh, I, ironically there is like a lot of i think like um it, you know you're you're with us or against us you're an insider or an outsider kind of mentality here but in this in this case it's actually playing um, to to the favor of everybody who wants to see Tesla fucking bleed, um, and the right. Scandinavian countries are banding together to uh, to really stick it to to Tesla and Musk here um, in the, in that way. So it'd be interesting to see how this plays out, like because um, there there is like Tesla's gonna have to fold, like there is no winning this battle, despite like um, as. The uh, France 24 article talks about that um, uh, Tesla is currently uh, hot, like they like they're they're actively trying to hire a government affairs specialist in Sweden. Um, a job listing posted recently on Tesla Careers website shows the company is looking for someone with a quote unquote, with a quote proven track record of getting regulatory changes made in the Nordics. So uh, <laughs> well, should have started looking for that uh, a while ago. You know. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, they, like they're, they're going to go like, I, I think they're like fully trying to go down with the ship here. Like Tesla, you yeah. know, it's a real like rock in a hard place kind of thing. But um, I, I think the Scandinavian uh, sympathy strikes labor unions uh, are a much more immovable object than Tesla or Musk. And that's exciting to hear, right? Because I would, you know, especially maybe, you know, it's a long road for us to get to the path where we have collective bargaining units or agreements like those in Scandinavia, let alone some of the labor law that allow basic solidaristic things like these sympathy strikes, right? Or it's a long road to get those sort of laws implemented across um, countries where Tesla is operating. But, you know, like you said, because it's the largest market in Europe, I sh I'm sure they understand the stakes, but it would be nice to have that hammer come down at the same time as the UAW is trying to make inroads in factories that uh, Tesla has in the United States, right? Um, you know, a campaign that's going to be a hard one um, and that I know is facing difficulty right now at this very moment, uh, but is opening up, would also open up opportunities, right, to continue to apply pressure to Musk and to hopefully deter some of this, I mean, 
as much as you can deter the behavior of someone as neurotic and whimsical as him and whimsical in a derogatory sense, you know, not in the, not in the complimentary uh, seeker of fun sense, but you know, someone whose uh, moods are as uh, capricious and unpredictable as his. Um, it's hard to imagine that the union will be a millstone in that sense, but maybe it will be in the sense that like, you know, lawyers and government affairs officials and investors will, you know, bop him on the head a little bit harder next time. Uh, next time he tries to uh, make moves that are as stupid as taking on an entire re- your one of your largest markets collective union um, sector all over a wage dispute with like 130 mechanics in in stupid. in repair shops like world's you know. richest man world's richest man everybody couldn't have uh, you know up if upton sinclair made a character like this everyone would roll their fucking eyes and say give me a fucking break we get it we get it and yet every single day we have to deal with this bullshit he's i mean very just so fucking ham-fisted and i and i don't just mean the uh the the coke bloat uh, yeah <laughs> right right, right. Oh, man, sausage fingers <laughs> i believe in him i believe in him man you know the energy's got to go somewhere when you're doing that much blow or academy whichever it is because if he's doing the academy i understand him getting a little sleepy you i mean know, why I not because literally literally the yeah, money stuff uh today's money stuff matt levine's uh column there is a big section today about like uh about elon musk and and the worries over his drug intake and how um there was a tesla board member who did not seek re-election um because she was like like really disagreeing with uh with with musk is like um drug habits and and lack of sleeping how much can it, is he just like doing drugs around them i mean i i don't like like i don't think there's any uh secret about it at all right like that's funny that's so funny you know, uh, matt levine was making this point that like at some point you reach a level and elon musk has reached that level where like you know those those rules don't apply to you because he was talking about in particular around like you know, the, like government contractors have really strict rules. Uh, ex- like federal government contractors have really strict rules around drug use and stuff. Yes. Um, no matter what the states, uh, what the state law is. But you know, Matt Levine was talking about it's like you know, is the do is like the DOD going to cancel its contracts with SpaceX um, because Musk is like doing coke and ket? Like no, it's it, it's not right. No. Like no, uh, yeah. It, like and even like, if they wanted to, like Ronan Farrell's p- piece on Elon Musk shut a rule and the Starlink. It's kind of like you know, uh, wishy washy uh, relationship with the government over Starlink proves. Even if they wanted to, it's not entirely clear they know how to or even want to risk doing right. Yeah, when they're when they're helping out with proxy wars or trying to maintain informational awareness in the field. But yeah, there's there's real uh, like like shareholder worry uh, mm. around um, Elon Musk is apparent like just uh, his habit to not sleep. <laughs> um, I like and, to imagine you know, that like someone left the office. 
and he was seated in the same position. And then they came back into the office and he was seated in the same position. And the only thing that changed was maybe, you know, some powder on the table and a little bit more bloodshot in the eyes. And they're like, oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. I I will not seek (laughs) re-election with the board of the, the gremlin in the fucking corner who hasn't moved in 72 hours. I look forward to when the uh, the Tesla board of like board is going to have to do a weekend at Bernie's with <laughs> Elon Musk's corpse one day. It's, e- it's either that or he's just like their sleep paralysis demon, and like anytime they even try to whisper, "Hey, maybe we should do something about him," he just appears in the corner with a with a powder on his hand, saying, "What were you, sa- <laughs> what were you saying about me?" <laughs> huh? <laughs> Is there, is there something you want to say? My man is on the trajectory from Schmeagel to Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure now that you've manifested it, I'm going to run into someone at some rave who talks about ketamine like my precious. <laughs> my precious. <laughs> the precious. <laughs> Where's my ketamine? Did you tell me I know that? I forgot I that Jeremy forgot. has a really fucking good golem like, lined <laughs> yeah. up. He's <laughs> cocked and loaded. That's a good bet. Gollum, Gollum at the rave fighting people over the last bit of cat, but it's just Elon <laughs> Musk. <laughs> it's not really ketamine. It's, it's, uh, it's the car- carcinogenic baby powder. Yeah. He just, he surprisingly is the only human being that can consume. Yeah, it actually gets him high. You know, it kills everybody <laughs> else, but for some reason, through some metabolic function, it has something to do with um, the events that happened, the political events that happened before 1989. Um, he is unable to die from, inge- from ingesting it nasally. <laughs> Fibromyalgia is, uh, <laughs> is Elon Musk's superpower. It's a it source is, of it his strength. <laughs> we can, we can. Some some say there's a there's a barn somewhere in South Africa with something drawn on the side of it. <laughs> Once that barn has been burnt, his powers would cease to exist. Yeah, some people keep horses in their barns in South Africa. Some people keep. Um, the native African population in their barns, and and others, uh, illustrious families keep uh, emeralds and ketamine, apparently, <laughs> and 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 a portrait <laughs> painted by one E. Gray. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, here's hoping that the sympathy strikes in Scandinavia keep keep roiling. Keep bleeding, Musk, um, and and catch. You know, I hope that they catch because there are some worries uh, that the eleven thousand employees at Tesla's largest European operation, the Gigafactory Berlin Brandenburg, might get inspired by the sympathy strikes in the uh, Scandinavian countries just north of Germany. Um, so I, that that would be amazing to see. And and hopefully we see some of that catching. You know, you brought up UAW. May hopefully we see some of that inspiration striking here. You know, we we can't legally do sympathy strikes with Scandinavian countries, but you sure can be inspired by them. 
It wouldn't surprise me if uh, Tesla tried to bribe those workers in Berlin with ketamine. <laughs> Although I saw reports that <laughs> Musk got turned away from Bern- Bernheim. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe he's a little bit of a persona non grata in the Berlin rave scene. <laughs> There's something there. We can use that to rally the troops against him. He he can't even go. He's not a man of the people. He can't even get into Bergheim. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. I think that's a good as place of any to to leave things off. Thank you for listening. Everybody can find us at patreon.com slash this machine kills for additional premium episodes every single week. Uh, we got got lots of uh, very exciting stuff planned and lots of very exciting stuff unplanned, but we know it will happen. This uh-huh. year, um, 2024, new year for TMK. Um, we've been we've been hitting it strong for over three years now. We are in we are entering our fourth year, which is really fucking wild. Uh, <laughs> just just insane. So, but we're going strong. So stick around, subscribe if you haven't already, and we will catch you next time. Later. Adios.
Bitch. Kill, 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 k